1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with everything. Each mattress purchase get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit Douglas.ca slash Canadaland to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash Canadaland. to help Cam H treat addiction and build hope. Wamish Hamilton. Good morning, Jesse, thanks for having me on. Reconciliation, and urban indigenous affairs journalist with The Discourse, thanks for coming on. It's good to have you.
2: It's good to be on, Jesse, thank you.
1: Today we're gonna to talk about the boil. The boil is lanced. The Boyle is Jody Mm Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott. The lance is them getting ousted from the Liberal Party Caucus by Justin Trudeau. And the analogy is courtesy of the always classy Sheila Copps. Mm -hmm. We will also talk about how Canada went from no relationship is more important to Canada than the relationship with Indigenous peoples to thank you for your donation.
2: And thank you for your vote.
1: This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to everybody by Elena Bernier, Katie Woodfine, Patrick Sullivan, Caitlin Thomas, Carleen Kerdziel, Daniel Cheadle, Eli Glasner, and Brent Holmyard. Hi, my name is Brent. I'm a marketer in Toronto, I support Canada Land because it's entertaining, informative, and more than anything, it's refreshing that you will call bullshit on anyone,
0: regardless of their political leaning.
1: And Wamish, this episode is brought to everybody by Endy. They are a Canadian mattress company. Any thoughts on mattresses in boxes shipped around the country? As long as you get what you ordered for, as long as it gets there timely. Well said, well put. I was happy that I got what I ordered for. It came in a very timely manner in a box that I just I just didn't imagine that I would be getting what I ordered because the box was so small. But then you, you open the damn thing and you open the plastic and poof the mattress comes out in your bedroom and you just saved a bunch of headaches because the mattress was just delivered to you. If you don't like it, you send it back. And uh, because this is a Canadian-made mattress shipped within Canada with Canadian materials, it's a lot cheaper than other mattresses. Certainly cheaper than mattresses in stores and a lot cheaper than other mattresses that get shipped to you in a box. And you'll get 50 bucks off of that low price because you listen to Canada Land. This is just the way to do it. Go to nd.ca when you need a mattress, use the promo code Canada Land. It's the best price you're gonna get for a great mattress. Check it out.
0: If a politician secretly records a conversation with anyone, it's wrong. When that politician is a cabinet minister secretly recording a public servant, it's wrong. And when that cabinet minister is the attorney general of Canada secretly recording the clerk of the Privy Council, it's unconscionable.
1: It's unconscionable. Tape your calls, people. If, you, like, if you're following along at home and you're trying to get any kind of insider wisdom from this whole saga, let it be this. Tape your calls. Especially if you're dealing with somebody like Justin Trudeau or or all the King's men, because these people will lie about what they said to you Tape your fucking call. It's wrong to tape your calls. That's what this is about now. Well, Mish, as a journalist, you know that uh, it is perfectly legal in Canada to tape one's calls. And, you know, I've given that advice to people before. When you know that what somebody is saying to you is probably not something that they're going to admit to saying to you, it's a very good idea to tape your calls. I, I'm not going to wade into the legal thing about the solicitor client. I know there's different opinions on that. But what's interesting to me is that here we have the prime minister indignant at Angry, kind of scoff like there's like a, a chuckle in that, like scoffing and, and laugh like at how wrong it was for her to tape the calls when they denied what they had said in those calls. Like, like as if that's he's gonna get on an ethical high horse when what he's angry with is that we know the truth. When we listened to Trudeau earlier, do you remember the movie Gladiator? The Russell Russell Pro uh, Yeah. Do you
2: remember a scene when Commodus the prince was having a meltdown with his sister.
1: Who he had a thing for, if I remember. Why can't they bow before me? Why can't they love me? That
2: came... To, I'm sorry, <laughs> but that came to mind. And he was walking back and forth, Commodus was. Uh-huh. Like like Marvin the Martian in uh, Mary Melodies.
1: <laughs> I'm very angry. Very angry indeed.
2: <laughs> Those two things came to mind. But Commodus in particular.
1: He... <laughs> He does not sound in that clip like somebody who is used to being challenged and not getting his way. I don't think it's a good look. You know, like, it's interesting, his inability, like, he was able to kind of master early on a certain kind of, like, sunny, positive tone, and then when he was coming out against, uh, you know, conservative policies or, you know, dark and stormy ways, he could kind of muster this sound of of indignation, and it kind of washed. But, like, in this circumstance, you're leveling this wrath against your own ministers who, like— have the moral high ground. I know that there's people within the liberal circles who just feel like this is like she lost the moral high ground by taping those calls. But I just I can't fathom how you square that when the need for her to do so has been revealed to be so abundantly clear. Like the calls, we should listen to some of the call, actually, because I don't know. It just seems like she has had one story from the start and the the recording just bears out exactly what she was telling us. Uh, let's play a little bit of that.
2: Does he understand the gravity of what this potentially could mean? This is not just about saving jobs. This is about interfering with one of our fundamental institutions. This is like well, breaching a constitutional principle of prosecutorial independence. So we can. Well, then nobody's explaining that to him, Michael. Uh,
0: I respect where you're coming from. I just think-
2: I, you know what? I like. I I hope that you do because I don't think anybody respects this. If he doesn't accept that advice, then it's his prerogative to do what he wants. But I am trying to protect the prime minister. I'm waiting for the big the other shoe to drop, so I'm not uh, under any illusion how um, the prime minister um, has and gets things that he wants, and um, I'm just uh, I'm just stuck doing the best job that I can.
1: Wow. I mean, people should listen to the full 16 minutes if they haven't yet, because it's it's actually like kind of the best radio you're going to hear. We put together some highlights there that just sort of emphasize aspects of this, which is both that she was trying to find some kind of way to maintain the principle of a separation from the political, from the, the criminal justice system while trying to protect the prime minister and like educate him. She's a lawyer. He isn't like what you're doing here could be a huge mess. It is unconstitutional. It is a transgression. I'm trying to help you. And I think that the most telling part is where Wernick says, oh, I respect what you're saying. He's just trying to handle her and pressure her. I respect what you're saying. She goes, I don't think you do respect. How much of this for you, Wamish, comes down to respect or a lack of it? Comes down to it, period. A few
2: things. One, Jody Wilson-Raybould has had the liberals and Justin Trudeau in the corner and has been pummeling them from day one with this. And she hasn't stopped pummeling them. she has been very careful about what she said. She's had one story... She's got the phone call to back it up. She's controlled the narrative and has taken the ball completely out of the liberals in Trudeau's court. In fact, they've been very cautious, and I don't think they knew how to handle this until now. The phone call, the revelation that it was taped, was the opportunity for them to suddenly become pious and indignant. Secondly, when we talk about respect, I think back to this. You know, Jody Wilson-Raybould wasn't born into the party she wasn't raised through the party. She was a strategic move during the last election to uh, secure the indigenous vote and to install as the uh, justice minister, first indigenous justice minister. And she's a woman, which appealed to the, the uh, feminist element with the liberals and with the public. But because she wasn't one of them, a uh, true blue, blue blooded liberal from day one, that made it easier to uh, pile on her and turf her out.
1: That's what I think, That, that all boils down to respect. I think that if she had been a true blue born into the party liberal, then she would know by now. The system has a way, I think, of weeding out people who aren't gonna play ball with the dodgy way that things work. And it was only by this quirk of history where Trudeau wanted to make a bunch of symbolic gestures that this happened. And this is an interesting thing because what I think when people think about this idea of, um, of tokenism, they imagine somebody who's unqualified getting a position that they otherwise wouldn't get. In this quirk, I almost feel like we accidentally got somebody who was uniquely qualified to legitimately represent the law and the ministry that she was tasked with, and to represent legitimately what she was only really required to represent symbolically as an indigenous person. Would you agree with that? I would agree
2: with that. And I would add to that by saying that um, she was qualified in another way. She may not have come up, been born into the liberal party and she may not be liberal royalty such as Trudeau is and come up through liberal politics. Having said this, she wasn't completely inexperienced. She came up through, uh, she got a good education. She went to law school and became a lawyer. She was a public prosecutor. She served on the BC treaty commission. But also she was the B.C. representative for the Assembly of First Nations. She came up through Indigenous politics, and that is a strong survive, only the strong survive politics. And people also forget that she's the daughter of uh, former B.C., now semi-retired Indigenous leader Bill Wilson, who came up through a time when he was one of the few that had a formal education in Indigenous politics in B.C. He was on the front lines and in the trenches during the constitutional talks with ironically pierre trudeau and he held his own he was one of the best and one of the brightest she's got that blood she came up tough and i'm not surprised that she's a handling it like the tough person that she is but also the smart person that she is
1: i think it's interesting depending on your perspective and your affiliation you know like you said uh, the fact that she taped the call handed them the opportunity to be pious and to I mean, I think it's going to backfire, I think, if it hasn't already. Like, you know, it's the first time that they've been able to, you know, they were back channeling a bunch of character assassination stuff, smearing her through uh, unnamed sources. And now she's done something that some people just on the surface of it say, oh, you shouldn't be taping your colleagues calls. That doesn't sound right. And that allowed Trudeau to kind of actually put his voice to a condemnation of her on some sort of moral grounds. And I guess the public will either buy that or not. They think that this reveals something, an opportunity for them and something bad about her. I kind of feel like it reveals something different to all of the voices who are saying that she was trying to bring them down. And this is uh, this is her and Jane Philpott scheming to bring them down. Well, to what end? I mean, so now she's out of caucus She can run as an independent, which is kind of like, okay, maybe you could win based on the fact that there's tremendous popular support for you. But then you're an independent MP. Some people are saying, oh, she's going to she's going to go turn to the uh, NDP. We don't really have a good history in this country of uh, thinking well upon people who cross the floor. I think when this is all said and done, this will be a tremendous sacrifice for her. Like, so what was this grand scheme? You know?
2: Yeah, I don't think there was a scheme at all to bring anybody down. If anybody brought the liberals down, it was themselves. You know, they live in a bubble. They live in the liberal world, much as as the conservatives live in the conservative world, much as the NDP lives in the NDP world. You know, they don't see the outer world and they don't realize, you know, the the social norms and rules that apply. And the outer world affect them as well. It came down to a lack of respect. She's still standing strong. You can bet that she's, you know, not just figured out what she's gonna do next. She's figured this out until probably after the next election. The bigger loss in this, whether they realize it or not, has been to the Liberals. And the Liberal image, which is tarnished, has taken a beating and continues to take a beating. And the only people
1: who don't know it is them. They, Philpott and Jody wilson Rebold have lost their positions and I'm curious what path they have forward. I mean, I hear you saying that, that there's a plan beyond a moral position to criticize government. As an independent, you know, I'm kind of curious. I guess we'll see how that plays out. The loss to the party, it's obviously been pretty damn bad for them. What about the loss to Indigenous people? This is probably the best representation Indigenous people have had within the system and even at the highest levels. And it's gone over this kind of stupid fumble. It's gone kind of for nothing. Well, what's your attitude towards what this means for representation and the larger narrative of of reconciliation?
2: Jesse, I'm glad you asked that question. It's a very good question and one worth giving deep thought to. That being said, I hearken back to the election, the lead up to the election, the last federal election, and how Trudeau said and did the right things when it came to Indigenous people, the history of Indigenous people. No relationship was more important to him than the one with Indigenous people the long need for reconciliation, you know, that kind of thing. He said and did the right things. And he held out hope to people who in some instances, and I think of the people who didn't even have clean water anymore on in their, in their reserves, hope is all they had left. And now with these
1: actions, that takes that hope away. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at CAMH.ca canadaland to help them treat addiction and build hope. Wamish, well, this is your first time joining me on Shortcuts, and it's a pleasure to have you. I don't know if you're familiar with this thing where we duly note something that's been in the press but hasn't gotten enough attention, and we take the opportunity to give it a bit more attention. Wamish, well, do you have something you would like to duly note?
2: Yes, I do, Jesse. Here in B.C., in uh, northern B.C., there's a little place called Lilu Island. And Lilu Island was at the center of uh, media attention over the last uh, three to four years with respect to an LNG project that the Patronus Company, I believe they're from Malaysia, had tried to set up. They wanted to set up some kind of LNG infrastructure on this small island. And a group of indigenous protesters who were from nearby First Nations said that the the island itself had uh, cultural and spiritual significance. So they moved to the island to defend their interest in the island against this LNG development. There was lots of media attention. Patronus, in the end, had pulled stakes. They weren't going to develop a project there anymore. And they went back to Malaysia. And media attention ceased. But very quietly, about two to three weeks ago, the Prince Rupert Port Authority filed a suit against, I believe it was three of the protesters, the land defenders, indigenous land defenders, who spearheaded that protest action. Among the things that they're charging them with, the grounds that they have for the suit they feel, is one, the land defenders interfered with the economic interest of the Port Authority with respect to this missed opportunity. The other things that they wanted was they wanted uh, the indigenous protesters whose families go back time immemorial in the area not to go to the island again, They were to remove any structures that they built on the island. And in particular, they wanted a pole, a welcome pole, an indigenous welcome pole that had been raised at the island, brought down and removed from the island. There was lots of media attention during the whole lead up to uh, the potential Patronus project. And after they went home, there was no media about it. And that particular case that I just described
1: has received no media attention whatsoever. Duly noted. I have one I'd like to share. A story that we reported about the new editor-in-chief of Sun News, the entire newspaper chain, the Sun News chain. Some people may remember the name Mark Tui because he used to be the chief of staff for the mayor of Toronto, Rob Ford. He is uh, not a journalist by training. I don't believe he has any journalistic background. He hosted a radio show, but I don't believe he self-identified as a journalist at all. Anyhow, he's the editor-in-chief of Sun News now. Uh, What's also interesting about that is that there is a departure of James Wallace, the vice president of editorial for The Sun newspapers. Where is he going? He's going from The Sun to become Doug Ford's deputy chief of staff, uh, one of them. Now, that would mean that Mark Tui is now the boss of Adrian Batra, who's the editor-in-chief of the Toronto Sun. And that should be familiar to both of them because Mark Tui was Adrian Batra's boss back when she worked for Rob Ford. For his communications and that's just a, a labor report update from ford sun industries do you know what to Ooh. jesse well Mish, i think that by now uh, a lot of people have heard the clip that made news last week of justin trudeau at the fundraiser saying thank you for your donation to the protester But not a lot of people heard the full clip. CTV had the full clip. And it's interesting because the early counter narrative was like, oh, you're making too much of this. You know, it was just an off the cuff comment. And that means something different in French than it does in English. He he was kind of saying, thank you for your contribution, meaning, you know, thanks for saying that, you know, but please be on your way. That's not what we're here for. Uh, Let's listen to the full clip. It'll take a a little minute, but I think you kind of get a lot more by just hearing how he persisted here. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for your donation tonight. I really appreciate the uh, donation to the Liberal Party of Canada. And, and as we know, the Liberal Party is Filled with different perspectives and different opinions and we respect them all and our commitment to reconciliation continues to be strong and committed and we will continue to engage. Thank you, sir, for your donation to the Liberal Party of Canada. I really appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you for being here. That is why we are moving forward on reconciliation in a real and tangible way. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for highlighting how important reconciliation is. Thank you for being here tonight, sir. Thank you very much for your donation to the Liberal Party.
1: Yeah. So I think that there is zero wiggle room here. He was absolutely saying, thanks for your fucking money. Get the fuck out of here. Wasn't he? Wasn't he saying, like, these people were coming and they were saying, hey, uh, Neros people have been poisoned for 50 years. You said you were going to do something about it. And as they were being escorted out of the room of this $1,500 a night fundraiser, his message to them was, yeah, get out. Thanks for your money. I hope it was worth it giving me $1,500 so you could protest like that. I don't give a shit. I mean, is there, is there any confusion about his message there? He just repeated it again and again. A couple things. One,
2: I hate to bring up a movie analogy again, but it's just too rich to not share. Please. Do you ever watch Animal House? Oh, wow. It's been a while. Yeah? Yes. Yes, I've seen Animal House. Uh, Do you remember the Nemesis fraternity of Animal House? I believe it was Delta House. Posh, blue blooded, high mindedly sarcastic, mean, and clannish. And this reminds me of that. It was a mean spirited comment. You know, he was in uh, what he thought was comfortable, familiar territory, comfortable, familiar surroundings. And like I said, the stress over this past while with respect to this issue, you know, it's made him crack in some ways and maybe reveal. Who was there all along? Yeah. Reveal the wizard behind the curtain. And it was a mean spirited it was, whether he, you know, wants to admit it or not. It was mean spirited. Sarcastic. You know, it was.
1: I think we should say he has apologized, you know, for what that's worth. Uh so there's some recognition there, but I felt the same way. I felt like like was this a bad day or were we seeing the kind of bratty, snotty, smarmy guy who he always has been, you know, or was this just a bad day? I mean, you know, you don't want to make too much about somebody's worst moment, but this guy is the chief of state. He's the highest elected figure in the country. And this yeah, is not there a-, is a
2: certain standard and a certain expectation to the manner in which you carry yourself and the things that you say. I mean, Gerald butts leaves and suddenly he melts down. and sounds like this, like who's his handler now? Get your boy in order here. Get your boy in line. Yeah. Apologizing after the fact. It it, it was after the fact. It was just, it doesn't spackle the crack in the drywall. You know, the damage is just more damage to
1: the damage that's already been done. It's another social media apology. It's like, I'm sorry somebody was videotaping that. I'm sorry it got released. There would be no apology if it hadn't been. If it was just me and the Laurier Club, no apology. (laughs) It
2: reminds me of uh, siblings that don't get along and one hits the other one and goes, "I, I said, I'm sorry knowing full well that, you know, they were going to hit them to begin with.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm getting feedback from listeners who are saying, like, they were kind of interested at first, and now they're saying, can you lay off? Like, are you trying to get Andrew Shear elected? And, you know, like, first of all, it's not my job. We call them like we see them, and, we, you know, we're going to cover this, and on on this show, I'm going to opine and comment on it as it plays out. Beyond that, that, just as a default, yes, we are going to criticize and report on the government of the day, I do have, and this is an editorial position, that's the worst part of the Canadian temperament to me, is the, yes, it's been revealed, all of these things, and the lie of this, of the platform, but the alternative is worse, so shut up and let's just accept the lesser of of the evils at hand. And the position that that puts you in is one of just perpetual compromise. Like, I think it's a terrible place for a democracy to be, for a people to be. What came
2: out of the, you know, the other side of his mouth after he was sarcastic was comments about reconciliation. I've never heard anything that contrasted so badly, you know, to sarcastically treat somebody in that manner and in the next breath, talk about reconciliation. I mean, like I said, they they live in a liberal world.
1: That part I don't think was sarcastic. He was, I think, trying to catch himself and saying, you know, like, thank you for your donation. But we do value different points of view and we're committed to reconciliation. I don't think he was being sarcastic there. It's almost like he realized that this does have something to do with something serious. And he was trying to thread the needle of, of having it both ways. It's the equivalent of a whoops. With regards to Grassy Narrows, should we be talking about the fact that Jane Philpott was the minister who was promising some progress there?
2: Yeah, she was. We should talk about her. And she was promising progress. But remember, in the shuffle some time ago now, she was knocked out of the slot and really never got to finish work that she'd started. And she did start some good work. And she was uh, held in high regard, I thought, within the party. Apparently not. So, but certainly by some in First Nation circles, she was trying to do the right thing. And
1: in her own regard, got the same bums Russia, Wilson-Raybould did during the shuffle. When this is all said and done, to loop back to what we were saying earlier, and, you know, I've been as guilty as anyone is sort of gawking at the juicy details every day of a pretty interesting political potboiler. But regardless of even if this costs Trudeau his government, ultimately... I wonder if the big losers in all this will be indigenous people like the agenda of the Trudeau government, the fact that he tried to do something and and, and in the eyes of some political operatives will say, oh, he got burned. He he shouldn't have overpromised that stuff. And all of his grandstanding on indigenous issues came back to bite him. People who, you know, maybe they never would have met their goals in terms of drinking water or with grassy narrows. But like maybe this was the best shot. And then just like breaking a political culture where it was now possible to have someone like Jody Wilson Ray bold at that level. Like all of that seems like it's going to be, you know, lying in the, in the wake of this, like it's just wreckage. I, you know, respect what you were saying about this being a long, it's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. Is this incremental progress towards that goal or is this a major setback?
2: It's a setback. Having said this, it's not collapsed completely altogether because, uh, the vehicle that we're traveling in turned around. It hit a dead end, and it's had to turn around. Now it's not going back to where it came from. It's going back to that fork in the road. You know, do you go right or do you go left? You know, that's up to you. And if I was, I'm, I'm not them, and I won't profess to being the wizard that their strategists are. But if I was the strategist within the Conservative Party and within the NDP, you know, I'd be looking at how these issues were treated and the work that was being done and the gains that could be made socially for Indigenous people that could be made if they continue that work and how, to a lesser extent, how that work looks in the eyes of the public, those achievements look in the eyes of the public. There's something to be learned from this this mess, something to be learned from surveying the wreckage. What was the cause? What do we learn for next time? Because there will be a next time.
1: Here's a bit of progress, and I don't know if this maybe is misfiled and should have been a duly noted, but it, uh, it was something that the Grassy Narrows issue connected in my mind, because uh, Muskrat uh, Falls, the story that Justin Brake was covering for the Independent out east, where protesters, most of them indigenous, arguably trespassed for a demonstration where they occupied this energy project, and Justin Brake was the only journalist there were a bunch of journalists there. He's the only one who said, well, the story's moving inside this energy project. I'm going to go cover the story. And he followed the protesters and covered it. And uh, he got, uh, there's an injunction against him. He, uh, he was not identified to the court as a journalist. Uh, was charged with mischief and became a, one of these journalism rights cases. And uh, APTN, Aboriginal People's Television Network, intervened and lent support. And they argued that he has to be able to cover the news. And uh, last week there was some good news. The court agreed. And, you know, this didn't get like much coverage at all. I mean, you can compare it to the Ben McCoo case, which got a lot of coverage and arguably it's an important case, but arguably of less importance because the judge's decision, Wamish, basically states that it does matter that he was a journalist and that the court should have taken into consideration before this injunction, granting this injunction that he was there covering the news and went even further than that And he said that uh, especially it matters when he's covering Aboriginal issues. He said that uh, because of the historic underrepresentation in the Canadian media based on evidence that APTN provided, the judge ruled that this makes freedom of the press to cover stories involving Indigenous land issues even more vital. So what this means is that APTN and Justin Brake have just won something for all of us who report the news, some kind of recognition under law that we can go places to cover things that otherwise might get other people in trouble. So that's, uh, I guess I want to note that and thank uh, APTN and Justin Brake and also just give that some attention because it's, it's not something that we've heard much about elsewhere outside of APTN's coverage.
2: APTN has risen in prominence as a result of this issue. I don't think we know right now, but we will certainly know in the future as this plays out, what journalism owes APTN and in particular Justin Brake. The Lilu Island issue I told you about earlier Justin Brake opened a crack journalists could get in at a 45-degree angle on the story with.
1: Wamish, well, that is uh, Canada Land Shortcuts for this week. Thank you so much for talking with me. Jesse, you're welcome and thank you for having me on. Anytime. Everybody can reach me if they want to at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read what you send me. We have a Twitter account. It is at Canada Land. Wamish, well, where can people find you? At w-a-w-m-e-e-s-h that's Twitter at Wamish, also at the Discourse uh, who you report for our website is canadalandshow.com if you have not listened to the first episode of the new season of Commons which is all about crude all about oil and uh, the first episode told me things i had no idea about the first oil well in north america being one just a couple hours away from me in toronto didn't know that all that and more in the new season of commons this episode is produced by david crosby our managing editor is kevin sexton syndication of canadaland is by cfuv 101.9 fm in victoria visit them online at cfuv.ca If you like what we do here, if you want to receive ad-free versions of every podcast that we publish, you can get them when you support us with $5 a month or more at patreon.com CanadaLand. We need your support and rely on it. Thank you.